Father, as we meet in this room, we know that there are communities like ours that have been devastated. Though we were spared, they were not to be in the path of that storm. And so, Lord, I pray for men and women in this state and really across the southeastern United States whose lives have been dramatically affected, altered, disrupted, many of them destroyed in this storm. And Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus that's beyond the things of this world. Lord, I thank you, Father, that Christ offers hope to hopeless people who have literally lost everything that this world values most. And God, I pray for sin relief in our Brothers and sisters who are part of that organization, fill them with your spirit. Give them power and strength as they step into places of need. Lord, I thank you that we have the ability to to extend our reach, in a sense, through our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And Father, I know that while there was a major storm physically that ripped through communities this week, that there are a lot of people in this room who are living in the midst of storms, whose hearts are heavy and burdened, whose lives have been dramatically and are still being dramatically affected by the storms of life. Father, would you do a work among us today? Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. May there be a movement of the mighty God of heaven that could be undeniable in this place. Restoring, healing, strengthening. I pray, Lord, redeeming the broken, hurting places of our hearts. So teach us your word. Make us more like Jesus. Father, thank you. He is the rock of ages. May we hide in him today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to go ahead and turn to our next passage of Scripture. In the study of the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. Before I had children, I was what I would call a silent movie watcher. Now, I don't mean that I liked to watch old silent movies. What I I mean is that I liked watching movies silently. Um, I didn't want people guessing out loud what they thought was going to happen next. I didn't want people commenting on every single line of the movie. I I didn't want to have people all around me trying to figure out where they knew that actor from. Was, was he, was he in Steel Magnolias? Have you ever seen Steel Magnolias? Man, that's a tearjerker. You think he was in Steel Magnolias, Titus? Well, I don't know, but I do think he's in the movie I'm trying to watch right now. So how about we just do that? But having children is a work of God's sanctifying power in our lives. And I've grown, I pray, more and more patient as we watch movies as a family. Because my children, especially when they were young, they like to talk through movies or make pay a whole lot of attention. And back in the old day, if someone didn't pay attention to a movie, um, I let them go. In their ignorance, they had to pay the price because the Bible says you reap what you sow. I didn't, I didn't make that rule. God did. And so if you didn't pay attention, you were on your own. But something about the dad and me watches movies with my kids now. And I'll see that they're maybe not paying attention to a very important scene. And Emily or I will pause the movie and say, kids, Uh, You don't want to miss this scene. It's really important and you're going to want to know this because it's pretty significant to the rest 
of the story. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, this morning as we approach this text, the dad in me is coming out for all of you. Kids, you don't want to miss the scene. I don't know how many of you have been sleeping through the series on Mark, um, although I've seen a few of you a time or two. I, I do get that. I don't know if you've been paying attention, though I have heard your cell phones ringing. I, I can't hear that. I, I don't know how much you've been looking into the series on Mark, but this is a scene you don't want to miss, kids. It's pretty significant for the rest of the story, not the story of Mark, but the story of the Bible. This is a significant miracle As a matter of fact, I want to give you a few reasons why this scene is so significant. This miracle completes the series of repetitions that we talked about last week. I can't unpack all of that, but if you just compare this to chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, what you'll see is that this is another form of Jesus teaching through repetition. This miracle also is important because it only occurs in the gospel of Mark. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mark seems to see this event as uniquely significant in the ministry of Christ. This is the only miracle that you'll find in all of the Gospels that occurs progressively or in stages. It's also significant because this miracle concludes the first half of the book of Mark. The very next passage is a seismic shift in Jesus's ministry on earth. And so this is a moment in the life of Christ right at the end of this this portion of Jesus' earthly ministry before he focuses more on the training of the 12 disciples and his journey through the cross. And this also is the last scene before Peter acknowledges the identity that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah of Israel. Now, next week, Pastor Kerry is going to be leading us through that passage of study. So I don't want to go too far down the road and steal any of his thunder. But Mark was Peter's ministry assistant when Peter was serving in the city of Rome. And so Mark heard these stories about the life of Jesus through the person of, of, of the apostle Peter. So, so he's, he, through the Spirit's leading, is retelling the stories as he was told them by Peter. And so the story he puts right before Peter acknowledges Jesus as the Christ is this story. It's almost as if watching Jesus open this blind man's eyes over time caused Peter to realize that Jesus had been opening his eyes over time to the reality of who Christ is. And then lastly, this miracle is actually a microcosm of what Jesus came to do on the earth. It's a picture. It's a parable of sorts of the Christian life and how Jesus works in the lives of those who follow him. You see, Jesus came to take his followers on a step-by-step journey of healing that would make them whole over time and prepare them to go to their heavenly home. And that component is what I want us to focus on this morning. This miracle, as much as any other one in all of the Gospels, illustrates beautifully what Jesus desires to do in the lives of all of his followers. You see, this isn't just the story of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. What I want you to see is we'll be studying a story that represents every follower of Jesus over the last 2,000 years. The story of this man who's being healed is really 
your story and my story. It's the story of Christ's work and everyone who placed their faith and trust in him. And so with all of that in mind, let's read this text that you could potentially sleep through or you could get distracted and talk through or you could look at it to be exceptionally significant. Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. This is the word of God for us this morning. And what I want to do is start with just two initial observations. The, the first observation of this text is, is this. This story begins with people who have heard and believed the good news about Jesus. Let me show you why I say that. Verse 22 says, and they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Okay, so the question would be, why would these people and this blind man come to Jesus hoping, believing, begging for Jesus to heal? Why would they specifically ask that Jesus would touch him? Well, the answer is they had heard that Jesus had the power to heal you completely of anything that was wrong with you. And he could do it with one single touch. You see, this isn't the first time that Jesus actually went to Bethsaida. As a matter of fact, just a couple of chapters ago, Mark specifically tells us that Jesus was headed toward Bethsaida then. If you'll remember when the disciples were out in the boat and Jesus came walking to them, they were headed to Bethsaida and Jesus got in the boat. They arrived on the other side. Listen to what Mark says about what happened when Jesus landed on shore there near Bethsaida. Mark chapter six, verse 56, a couple chapters ago says this, wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. You see what's happening? Throughout this region of Bethsaida, word was spreading already that Jesus had the power to heal whatever was wrong with you. And as people heard that, for many of them, they realized they had stuff that was wrong with them. You know what that means? A man who can heal what's wrong with you is good news for people who have things wrong with them, right? And many who believed it came to Jesus they believed it was true, so they came to him and they said, Jesus, we need your healing power, just a healing touch from you. And that's what happened in our text this morning. The blind man and his friends heard the good news about Jesus and they believed it. So they come to Jesus in faith and dependence and ask him for his healing power. I'm going to stop right there and just say, that is the story of the Christian life. It begins... When people like you and me and our neighbors and our family, those around this world, hear the good news, the truth about Jesus and respond in faith and believing it. Listen to Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. It says, in him, speaking of Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation 
and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, friend, the Christian life begins when we hear and believe the truth, the gospel that Jesus provides salvation. And if you've never heard that, it is my joy every week to tell the people who gather in this place, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, that Jesus Christ provides salvation to everyone who trusts in him. Jesus came to this earth as the son of God and he lived the perfect life you and I have failed to live. A life of perfect obedience, perfectly following God the Father in every way. He died the death that we deserve to die as a payment for our sin. And as a sacrifice at the cross, Jesus died as a sacrifice presented to God for the sins of this world. And since he was a perfect sacrifice, his death was sufficient to be perfectly pleasing to God. That's how we are given forgiveness by the death of Jesus Christ. He's a perfect sacrifice and payment for our sin. And when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead, did he, church? He rose again three days later, proving his power over death and sin and hell and the grave and offering to those who trust in him that same power to be raised up to a brand new life. Jesus came to bring salvation for people who will trust in him and he saves us every way that we need to be saved. He saves us from the penalty of sin with eternal death separated from God in a place called hell. He he saves us from the power of sin in our day-to-day lives by giving us new hearts, filling us with his spirit, raising us by his resurrection power to a new life that we described earlier in baptism as a life that's not us, but Christ who lives in the power of the spirit in us. And one day, not only has Jesus saved us in the past through the penalty of sin and present from the power of sin, he will save us in the future from the very presence of sin. He's gonna take us home to heaven where we will live in the presence of God, enjoying his pleasure forevermore. And that will be glory, church. Jesus saves In every way that we need saved, in every aspect, the work of being saved from the penalty, power, presence of sin is a work that Jesus does in the lives of those who hear that good news and respond in faith about Jesus. I want you to notice what happens next. It's our second observation. You see that faith doesn't just begin this work. Faith becomes a journey with Jesus. I want you to notice this. Faith in Jesus wasn't a one-time event. Look at verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Do you see this? Don't miss it. What had the people begged Jesus to do? Do you remember? To touch him, right? Well, well, what did Jesus do next? He touched him. He took him by the hand. He touched him. Here's what's amazing, though. This guy was not immediately healed. And that's sort of the whole point of the story. Faith in Jesus and healing by Jesus are not just one-time events. It is not simply that you would walk down an aisle at a service like this and pray a single prayer and then go on about the rest of your life like you'd never encounter Jesus. That's not the work that Christ does. It's a journey of following Christ, this blind man. 
He goes on a journey with Jesus, following him by faith one step at a time. This guy who just met Jesus is taken by the hand and Jesus does what? He leads him down busy streets, through crowds, all the way out of town. Can you imagine what kind of faith is being expressed here? We, we know from the, the text that we read that this village wasn't his home because at the end, Jesus says, don't go back to the village, go home. So his home was outside the village. Why would he come to the village? Well, because he was blind and he had to stay in the village to beg people for charity. It's the only way he could earn an income. So this guy who just met Jesus as being led on a step-by-step journey away from his source of income, away from his comfort zone, away from the life, the people, the places that were most familiar with him. He literally is putting his hand, his whole life in the hand of Jesus. And it's a journey, one step at a time that starts in a village that was the backdrop for his whole life before Jesus and lasted until the man was finally ready to go home. And that's exactly what our life with Jesus, it's not a one-time event. Following Jesus is exactly what it sounds like. It's a step-by-step journey with Jesus that begins the moment we respond by faith in the gospel and Jesus takes us by his mighty hand and it continues until we are finally made ready for home by the power of Jesus. And in the rest of our time together, here's what I want us to do. Under that umbrella of those two big observations that show the beauty of the Christian life displayed in this passage, what I want to do is look at our text. I want to see how it illustrates what those who trust in Christ and follow him on this journey will come to expect from the healing power of Jesus when we journey with him. So let me go ahead and give you the big idea for this morning. And we'll just unpack this big idea for the rest of our time together. Here's our big idea for today. As we journey by faith with Jesus, he heals in his own way, along the way, and all the way. As we journey by faith with Jesus, he heals in his own way, along the way, and all the way. Now, let me show you why I say that big idea. Number one, Jesus heals in his own way. Look at verse 23 again. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. Now, just stop right there. Guys, I am not a doctor. You know, I didn't even go to seminary, let alone med school. But I feel really confident in this next statement. You can spit in people's eyes all day long, but your spit won't heal any one of their blindness. Boom, I just said that. That's definitive. You you can't do that. And I don't recommend you try it at home. That's under the category of this. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus heals in a way that is unique to Jesus. That's what I mean by he heals in his own way. Guys, only Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can forgive our sins. Only Jesus can restore us to God as our Father. Only Jesus can bind up the broken, hurting places in our hearts and lives. Only Jesus can give us resurrection power that's stronger than death itself in a world that's dying and going to hell. Buddha 
Buddha can't do that. Muhammad can't do that. Mystics and modern psychology and self-help books can't do what Jesus can do. And here's a news flash for you. You can't do what only Jesus can do. And I can't do what only Jesus can do. Do you want to know who can do what only Jesus can do? Jesus, Jesus right? And this man follows Jesus out of the city and he stands there outside of his place of comfort and familiarity and he stands still while Jesus spits in his face. Why? Because he believed that Jesus and only Jesus could heal him. And so he says, Jesus... Do what you want to do. Only you can do this. And I trust you. Guys, there's even more at work, though, with Jesus spitting in this guy's face. You don't have to be an expert in world culture to imagine that spitting in someone's face is pretty much universally offensive, right? I'm in a lot of countries around the world. I don't recall any of them that greet one another by spitting in each other's eyes. I don't think it's normative that we think this is anything other than offensive at its core, but that's exactly what Jesus does. He does something that we all naturally would find to be offensive and avoid as we can. And you need to know this follower of Jesus. Jesus does a similar thing to anyone who will trust in him. Part of his healing work, part of what Jesus does in healing our lives is he does something that's deeply offensive to our flesh, a work that we would all naturally want to avoid. Listen to Romans chapter seven, verses, verse 24 and 25. The apostle Paul says this, wretched man, that I am. Most people don't put that on their business cards. That's what Paul did on his. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what's happening in Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul describes that Jesus had been working in his life to convince him of something. To convince him that he was completely sinful. That he was completely unable to do anything about his sin. That he was completely unable to deliver and save and rescue and redeem and restore himself. He needed more than a New Year's resolution. He needed more than a self-help program. He became convinced that if Jesus didn't save him, he would never be saved. Just like the blind man in our text, Jesus offended Paul's flesh and his pride and his self-reliance. He led Paul away from the place of relying on himself and anything else but Jesus. And friend, you need to know this because we don't advertise this much in Christianity. That's the work that Jesus will do in you As you journey with him in faith, he will forgive your sin. Yes, he will restore you to God as your father. Yes, and he will lovingly and mercifully and graciously and relentlessly expose your sin and your smallness. He will hold up a mirror in his word to the eyes of your heart so that you can see something. Namely, that you're a mess. 
And if he needs to, he will use your spouse to help. (laughs) When my kids were small, they all went through a stage of childhood that I call, I can do it myself. You guys know that stage? Each of them expressed it in their own way with their own personalities, but every single one of my kids 100% had it in them. Sometimes we'd be working on a project around the house. Sometimes they'd be trying to get dressed. Sometimes they'd be trying to put on their shoes. Inevitably, though, there would be these things they thought they could do that they couldn't actually do. And I don't know about your parenting approach, but my parenting approach is that I'm firmly convinced the best thing I could do for my children in those situations was to sort of take a step aside and cross my arms, pop some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Let them struggle for a minute. Let them find out the hard way, not because I'd left them, but because I was going to teach them. No, you can't do it yourself. So I'd watch them make a mess of their artwork, or I'd let them fumble with their shoestrings, thinking they're tying it, and it's not getting anywhere until they finally were willing to look at me and say this, Dad, you have to do it. I can't. And that's similar to a work that Jesus does in us that's uncomfortable, that's hard, but it's holy. He allows us to struggle, friends, He allows us to encounter difficulties of various kinds so that we can feel something. We can feel our own weakness. We can feel and experience our own ability. He will allow every self-reliant part of our flesh to be offended. And I don't know how theologically accurate this phrase is, but he will spit in our eyes in order to let us see can't do it on our own. That's why we need Jesus. And guys, one of the healing power of Jesus is that he opens our understanding to our own weakness so that we can become convinced once and for all and be willing to say over and again, Jesus You have to do it. I can't. So let me ask you this. Where in your life today do you need to give up trying in your power to fix and heal and save and restore and redeem? I don't know what that would look like in your life. I don't know where that is. But where do you in your life today need to look to Jesus because he's brought you to the end of yourself and he's convinced you that you and I are wretched men who will deliver me from this body of death that plagues me daily? Who will do it? Jesus, only Jesus. Where in your life do you need to lay your life down and say, Jesus, you have to do it because I can't. When you do, let the healing begin. Jesus heals in his own way. He does for us what only he can do for us. And one of that, those works is that he convinces us That only he can do it. Number two, Jesus not only heals in his own way, Jesus heals along the way. Look at verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. 
And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Okay, so remember, this is the only miracle in the gospels that Jesus performs that happens over time. He spits in the guy's eyes, he lays his hands on them. Then Jesus asks the guy, hey man, do you see anything? And the guy's like, I, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Okay, so I'm not an optometrist, but I'm pretty sure that if you see people and you mistake them for trees walking around, you're going to need to pull out a bit of a thicker lens for the glasses, right? Like that's a failure on the eye exam, in my opinion. It might be better than total blindness, but it is certainly not complete healing, right? He was partially healed before he was fully healed. And once again, that's exactly what Jesus does in the lives of those who trust him. He begins healing us the moment that we place our faith and trust in him. At the very beginning of the journey, Jesus begins a healing. He forgives all of our sin forever, immediately. He restores us to God forever, immediately. He adopts us into God's family and you can never be unadopted. And he does that immediately. He gives us his spirit as a seal of the inheritance that we are sure to get immediately when we trust in Christ. So there's a healing work that he begins that happens immediately, but we are partially healed before we are fully healed. The word that the Bible uses is the word sanctification. I know that's a churchy sounding word, but sanctification simply means separation. And what it refers to is the fact that Jesus is separating us to God by separating us from sin. And the world of sin in which we live. And part of that's already happened. He separated us from the penalty of our sin. We already talked about that. He separated us from the power of sin by his spirit. We can say no to sin by the work of Christ in us. So part of our sanctification has already happened. But there is a part of our sanctification that will literally take a lifetime to accomplish. It's in the process of us being separated from sin, that we become more and more and more like Jesus. And guys, that's what Jesus is doing in your life if you're trusting in him. He's making you over time more and more like Jesus. Go to Romans chapter eight, verse 28 with me. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. How many of you heard that verse before? All right. You got it for your high school graduation gift, right? So on your journals, that verse, we never include the next verse. It's the context. It defines what it means. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. When God talks about all things working together for good, most of us don't stop to ask the question, what? does he really mean by good? Well, here's the good that God is working all things in your life together for. It isn't that you would have a nice, comfy life. 
It isn't a promotion at work or a vacation from work, though we all consider those things to be good. The good thing that God is working all things in your life together to accomplish is that you would be more and more and more like Jesus. And can I let you in on something? You aren't there yet. You know how I know? Because you're still here. You're a work in progress. He is healing you along the way and nothing will be wasted, he says, because all things will work together for the good of making you more and more like Jesus. That's why James chapter one says you can rejoice when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because Jesus is using the trials of your life to make you more and more like him. Yes, hard. Yes, it's painful, but it's how the great physician is healing us along the way of life. So let me ask you this. What would change about your life today if you truly believed that Jesus is using everything in your life to make you more and more like him? How would you view your setbacks or your disappointments or your mountaintops or your valleys or you're one step forward and you're two steps back. How would you view those things if you really believed that what Jesus is doing in them is healing you, separating you further and further from sin and the patterns of this sinful world so that you would become more and more like him? Friend, that is exactly what Jesus is doing if you're trusting in him. He's healing you. And he's using every single thing in this world, in your life, to make you more and more like him. And the word of the day is it will take a lifetime to accomplish. You're not there yet, but you will be. That's the last thing we see, is that Jesus not only heals us along the way, Jesus heals us all the way. Look at verse 25 again. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. Guys, in verse 25, there are three different phrases. I don't have the time or necessarily the ability to give you all of the nuance to those phrases, but they describe how the blind man's eyes and his sight was restored. It says he opened his eyes His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. He uses three very different phrases as a way of painting a word picture of sorts. What he's doing is he's describing in various facets that this man's eyesight was perfectly restored. It was better than new. It was fully and completely all would have intended our eyesight to be. When all was said and done, in other words, Jesus healed him all the way. Nothing was left undone. I love the thought. This guy left home that morning, a blind and broken man. And at the end of the day, he walked through the door better than new. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in those who trust in him. He has begun a work that he will completely fulfill. Friend, if you're trusting in Jesus, I've got some amazing good news in the gospel for you. One day, Jesus will finish the job that he started in you. 
Faithful is he who called you. He also will do it. I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen again to the word of God from Romans chapter 8. Verse 18 says this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice those phrases. The glory that's to be revealed to us, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's what the Bible says is happening. There is a day that is coming when all of the pain and suffering of this present age will be over. That's that's something to look forward to, right? And on that day, it says, God will reveal. That word reveal is to unveil like a statue. He will unveil once and for all the work that he was doing through Jesus during this age. And it says there, it will be glorious that all of creation will rejoice. Guys, when, when God unveils the work that he was doing during this age, the new heavens and the new earth will erupt with eternal to the glory of God. The angels and the stars and the saints of heaven will spend eternity praising Jesus for the amazingly glorious work that he accomplished during this time in the history of the world. And do you know what the work is that will be unveiled on that day? Do you know what the work is will be so glorious that the universe will explode in eternal praise saying, Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you did that. Jesus, I'm going to praise you forever and ever for doing that kind of work. Do you know what the work is? You. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are a child of God. And it says that the unveiling that's to take place is the revealing of the sons of God. The completed work of Jesus in your life includes you and all the saints and it will be glorious. Children of God, listen to the good news about Jesus. Though your life is hard and heavy and you're not there yet, your destiny is glory. Jesus will finish The work that he's begun. You feel small and broken today because you are. But you won't always be that way. The sin, the sorrow, age will be a memory. And you will spend eternity enjoying the glory of God. You will be fully and finally home and you will be whole and all will be well church because Jesus will complete the work he began when you first had him take you by the hand and say, follow me. Your destiny is glory because Jesus is a faithful savior and he will do it. The things of this earth, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Tuesday afternoon, I received a call from a precious sister in Christ in our church. 
And God allowed it that I was able to swing by their home on the way from another appointment. Hospice had been called in for a, a friend of ours, a man who's a member of our church, Mr. Gerald Hersey. And there at his bedside, as they were administering morphine in these final moments, Barbara and Gerald and I gathered around a bed, and we knew Gerald was not going to be long for this world. He was dying of liver disease. He was weak. He was frail. He could barely open his eyes. And there we stood by his bed, and I read from Romans chapter 8, just like I read for you this morning. Just a matter of hours later, the next morning, Gerald drew his last breath on earth. He closed his eyes for the final time in this world. But that was not the end of Gerald's story. He is better today than all of you. Because when he closed his eyes on this side, he opened them on the other. And like the man in our story, the first face he saw was the face of Jesus, our healer and our king. And that isn't just the story of a man who lived 2,000 years ago, and it's not just the story of Gerald Hersey. That's your story. You're not home yet, but one day you will be. And Jesus, our great Jesus, will have healed you all the way, and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So stay the course, church. Look to Christ, church. Follow Jesus, church. He will heal in his own way, along the way, all the way, for your good and his glory. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus. And I pray... For every man, woman, and child who is in this place, those who are joining us online, that if they have never come to the place in their life where they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus to save them in every way they need to be saved, to heal them in every way they need to be healed, Lord, may their heart right now call on Jesus to save. Simply saying by faith, Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. I need you and depend on you. Save me, Jesus. And Father, for those who are saying, yes, I trust in Jesus. But today they're feeling the places of their life that aren't quite healed yet. Their brokenness, their pain, their confusion. Lord, would you fill them with faith to trust that Jesus is using everything in their life, nothing's wasted, to make them more and more of who they'll always grow to be, children of God conformed to the image of Jesus. Give us faith and endurance in the pain. Give us hope as we look to the future. 
Sustain us by your grace to live one step at a time by faith in our great Savior and King, whose name is Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.